15 weeks in. I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm perfect. Thank you very much. Who would have thought 15 weeks in? To be fair, it doesn't even feel like it. It genuinely does not feel like 15 weeks. Yeah, you know what? It's gone really fast. I think first episode was early November. Mm-hmm. We sort of, we started like the, the prep and stuff a few weeks before that. But it just becomes part of your routine, doesn't it? And yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think like, what what was I getting up to before we were doing this? Because yeah, it's just, just something we do every week. And part of our time is now spent on this. Um, and it would feel weird not to do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's just part of the routine now. You can't really not do it, as you said. Yeah, it's been what well, just over three months, as you said, and I don't. It doesn't really feel like it. It genuinely does not feel like it's been three months for me. That's yeah. That would be almost four months now. That's crazy. Yeah. That is that so is crazy. Crazy. That's actually. Do you crazy. think? Do you think we've gotten better at it over the four months, or not really? Oh yeah, definitely we got better at it. Like, well, for those listening, we basically do everything ourselves. Like we do the research ourselves, we edit it ourselves, we do everything ourselves. And at the start, it was a bit like, okay, how should we do the transcript? How should we edit it? Like, how are we going to meet the deadline? And it was something we kind of learned on the job. It wasn't necessarily something we're really prepared for beforehand. Definitely, like everything seems more natural now whereas at the start you were like kind of stressing okay how do I do this how do I do that now it just feels more natural wouldn't you say yeah I would and I think actually like in terms of podcasting I think the best way to learn is actually to do it like you said on the job just learning through experience you know what works in terms of like conversation what works in terms of creating a transcript what works in terms of you know like scheduling when you're going to edit it and upload things and stuff like that so I'm really happy with how it's gone and it's it's pretty chill. I don't I don't stress about it at all to be honest. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly because like look what we do at the end of the day is we go we look at what's really interesting to us at least during each week. We look up the information on it. So not only it educates us, but it's just something fun. And you know, like before we started, like just when we had the idea, it was a lot simpler in my head at least where okay, well I talk all the time, like we talk all the time. Why not just sit and talk? But it's actually not that easy. Like you're actually meant to do everything, you're meant to prepare. And that's something, that's a process I enjoy, just getting the topic I'm interested about, uh, introducing you to it if you don't know it, or you getting a topic you're interested about and introducing me to it, and then we discuss it. It's amazing. There is a skill to it, because it's not as easy as sitting down and just, you know, like, talking because you need the conversation to flow for however long you're going to be recording like an hour an hour and a half unless of course you are just one of those podcasts where you just don't give a fuck but our one we do I think we do like to have some sort of flow to it and I think we're really really good at you know keeping that flow and I think actually one of the most important things that we've we did from the beginning is just talking about what interests us There might be some weeks where we've been really busy and we haven't had a lot of time to think. And we're like, okay, you know, what's been going on in the world right now? What can we pick out that's interesting to us? But majority of the time, it's usually just stuff that, oh, this has been really interesting this week. And, you know, we want to talk about it more on the podcast or 
oh, you know, we started watching this or I went and saw this film at the cinema and I really want to talk about it, those sort of things. So I think that's been keeping it, I guess the word is like organic um, yeah, yeah. and not really, not so much structured has been really key to enjoying this experience so far. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's not like you're not basically we're not given the news. It's basically, as you said, organic and somewhat casual. But then again, like if I'm when I'm thinking about it, like when we go down to the pub and we're having a conversation, like it's a completely different type of conversation. Like before we start it, I used to think, uh, yeah, it would just be the same thing we talk about at the pub. We're just going to be recording it, like obviously having fun, talking, messing about. It's just it's going to be that we're just going to record it. But now now when i look at it okay when we go to the pub and the boys are there and everything like the conversation's kind of fully different than what we do here because you can't really do that on air because a lot of people don't know the backgrounds the inside jokes and everything and yeah it's just a process i'm really enjoying unless we want to flip it and we want to make a podcast which is sort of like the conversations we have at the pub which we could do in the future exactly. you never we could know. have we could bring some of the boys on uh, mm -hmm. We could do something a little bit different. Who knows? We will be talking about Joe Rogan later, who sort yeah. of does that himself. Um, and that's going to be an interesting conversation. I'm really looking forward to talking about that. But I think the first thing we want to start off with this week is, if you remember last week, we were talking about the Australian Open final. And you asked me about why women's tennis in Grand Slams is three sets instead of five. So went away, had a little look on the internet and pretty much the answer is what I said last week. Um, the answer is rooted, I guess you could say, in sexism, um, but also not. And that is that it, there's sort of like a prevailing feeling that it might be too physically harsh on women's bodies, for example. Um and so that is why it's too strenuous. And that is why it's three sets instead of five. Historically, looking back at it, there was a period where, okay, women's in, you know, in like the US Open, its predecessor, for example, also went up to five sets right at the start of the 20th century. But then that sexism prevailed and it was like, no, 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 the women can't do it. Um, and so they cut that out. And for decades, it was just three sets. Then in the 1970s, you have the battle of the sexes between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. And well, not ironically, um, but in a way, ironically, because of the way, you know, the language that Bobby Riggs was using at the time, um, Billie Jean basically whooped his ass. 6'4", 6'3", 6'3", proving that, yeah, women women's players can be better than men's because Billie Jean King was world number one. Uh, around that period and Bobby Riggs was a former world number one so two top players different genders female beats the man um but it didn't really lead again it it didn't really lead to a switch in the rules and I think part partly the reason of that is not so much in that old language where it's like women can't do it but more so think about it logistically right you gotta yeah. change the way that tournaments are operated if you have women's games that can now go to five sets and how does that affect the way that it is scheduled on TV, for example, it completely, it, these tournaments are not designed for that and it would yeah. require a major overhaul. And also there is that argument where it's like, 
women's tennis financially is good as it is at the moment. So it's sort of like untested waters to say, are we going to bring in as many viewers if we go up to five sets? Are people going to still tune in? So as far as I'm aware, there is no prevailing like conversation going, uh, we want it to move back up to five sets. But to, basically to bring the point back to earth and to answer your question, it was pretty much the the answer is that women's tennis in the Grand Slams is three sets opposed to five because when that decision was made, it was rooted in sexism, which was basically physically they can't they can't compete to the same level of me- as men. Um, so yeah, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and basically that's my problem with it in some regards because the saying of okay they can't compete as, as you said this was something that was decided years ago. So back then sexism was a thing. Now it still is, but much less. Um, obviously the saying of they can't physically do it is wrong. Any athlete can do it. It doesn't matter the guy, girl, and that's like we can see it. That's like proven in many other sports. Yes, it may not be in tennis. Yes, it may not be in, I don't know, like boxing, basketball, but you could see it in many other sports that it's the exact same. And in some sport, it's more intense. Like I'd like to say, for example, referring back to boxing or MMA again, it's physically more intense to be a female fighter than it is for a guy now the reason i say this is because they can't generate as i said this they can't generate the same power as men so what they do to replace that is they produce more volume so rather than a guy throwing 20 significant strikes in a five minute round because they can't have the same effect that guy has with their punches so maybe that 20 is enough to you know, take the equilibrium, drop the other person. So the female has to replace that by throwing 50 significant strikes per round. So not only they can physically do it, but they can actually up the intensity and do it. And once again, that's not to say a woman can do that, men can't do that. It's They can both do it. So my reason is, yes, I completely understand if it's a case where they're not doing it due to the schedule, the timing. Yes, it's going to mess everything up. Yes, it's something that's rooted in by now. But I'd like there to be a clearance on the rule as to why they're not doing it. Because if you were to ask them 20, 100 years ago, they'd be like, yeah, it's sexism, women can't do it now. But since then, it hasn't changed. Since then, it stayed as the same rule. So does that mean the same rule applies now? Because if they come out and they say, yes, the same rule applies now, I'm pretty sure they're going to get cancelled. <laughs> I think, well, yeah, they probably would. Um I just think that you make some good points there. I think that, to be honest, like I was saying before, there is no general feeling that they want this to change. And I guess, you know, one one example there is that, for example, the prize funds are exactly the same in terms of, you know, these grand slams, even though that it's, you know, three sets for women, uh, five sets up to five sets for men. But I when when i was doing the research there's also the case that in some of these you know tournaments that you do on tour for example um they are capped to three sets for men as well and so we we are talking it's it's worth noting we are talking specifically about the four majors where it's three for women five for men but i also think that it is also true that logistically 
it would cause so many issues to you know just the way that the order of play goes on the day uh the tv scheduling for example if you were to change it to a point where women's games can go up to five sets because it means that games can overrun and how does that affect how many games you can fit in a specific day and you need to fit in a specific amount of games on a certain day but you only have a certain amount of days to run your tournament and also it's untested waters you know is anyone actually going to watch women's games that would go up to five sets now i assume they 100 percent would because the men's ones are incredibly entertainment entertaining and that will definitely apply to the women's ones but it's simply untested grounds you don't really want to affect something when you have it already so good um but also i think in one of the articles that i was reading about this topic andy murray made a good point um and this is someone who has who has played in a lot of five setters he was like it is different you know women's women's and men's tennis um in terms of this set discrepancy because he said here's a good way of thinking about it it's like someone who trains constantly for a 400 meter race the person who's doing the three setter and someone who trains constantly for a 600 meter race the men who do up to five sets and so there's no doubt that women can do the five sets it's just they're training for two different things they are in a, in a way it's it's both tennis but it's it's different subsets of tennis um yeah i don't know what you think about that i mean that's 100 percent accurate like when it comes to having to spend less or more time on the playing field your whole preparation changes if if you know you're going to be running for 100 meters you'll probably try to do as fast as you can go and be gassed out by the end of those 100 meters whereas if you're doing like 10 kilometers you're not trying to go as fast as you can go you're trying to pace yourself for that 10 kilometers so by the time you get to the last bit of the competition you still have some energy in your gas tank whereas in a three set game when you know the game is kept at three sets they don't play so by the end of the third set they still have some energy left in them now obviously they do if the game goes to extra things and stuff like that but if it's a case where it's like three sets, you have to put everything you have in those three sets. There's no such a thing as, oh, it's five sets. You put kind of everything you have, but you still have two more sets. So you have to make sure you still keep your energy. So how the game is, it just completely changes. That's the same thing if you kind of apply to football. If you say, okay, rather than playing 45 minutes, let's play 20 minutes and then switch sides. Like they're going to be playing at a much higher pace because they're just going to have more energy. Um, so it's a case of, yes, the preparation fully changes. As I said, my only biggest issue with this is the fact that I don't like how it's there and everyone thinks it's because they can't do it because they can. It's just a matter of a different type of match. And maybe this is something that if you do for men's, as you said, they do it in some tournaments when they play three sets as men and maybe that's more entertaining you never know maybe that makes them play at a higher pace yeah i mean in terms of what you don't like about it i guess that's a perception issue and i just think because it it would be such a big thing to change how that works in these majors i don't see it happening for a long time which is unfortunate so i think well let let's try and come up with ways how you would address that 
that perception issue because like we've just said it's not a case of they can't do it they're just training for two different types of tennis right Mm. um and so what you would need is more like explanation or visibility as to why the women's is three sets and the men's is five but like i was saying earlier something that i didn't even know was that on tour the men are also in quite a few tournaments playing only up to three sets but this is just something that i didn't know about so i think it's a visibility issue in terms of um making people aware of you know why this is the case um and why it's probably not going to change going forward because it would be such a big undertaking undertaking but i think yeah i think we've answered why it is three sets opposed to a best of five what do you think yeah we definitely have and it also comes down to well generally it comes down to the athletes themselves i'll give you an example on that what i mean by that is in boxing as i said a championship fight for females 10 rounds supposed to 12 rounds for guys and it's two minutes per round rather than three now it's a case where when you have a close fight a lot of the time the female athlete they go like I could have beaten her had it been two extra rounds because I just got into my rhythm. I just figured her out. I just did this. I just did that. So a lot of them complain about the fact there's only 10 rounds. They say it's a very close fight. If it's a fight where you get dominated the whole fight, you'd want it to end as soon as you want. But if it's a case where you're like, oh, it's a very close fight. I think I got her number by like round eight. All I need is two, three extra rounds to work on it and possibly finish it or get the extra point and win the fight. So it's a case where a lot of the time the female athletes complain themselves whereas in tennis i doubt it's a case where if they lose the female athlete comes out and says yeah you know what if it was five set i could have beaten her do you know what i mean yeah i i doubt that because you know you are like we were saying before you are training for the three sets but i'm sure there are cases and we've probably we've probably there's probably been so many examples of great finals which if they'd gone to five sets, they could have been incredible where someone was just getting into their groove or their rhythm. But unfortunately, because it ends so quickly because of the way that female tennis is structured in the majors, uh, we've just never had the opportunity to see that. So that that is probably a gripe that some players have. But, you know, to counter that, like we were saying, you, you do train for three sets in these majors. Um, yeah. So yes, you could be getting into the groove in that second set, but it doesn't matter because that is not the type of tennis that you are training and have trained to play. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just a completely different... It's just a different game. Yeah, it has the same name, but it's pretty much different. Like, all the rules are different. The way you strategize the game is different. Like, everything is going to be different. And like I was saying before, I would love to... I would love to watch five-set women tennis because, in my opinion, it's just it's just as entertaining. So... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of the whole point of our conversation. We're saying they could do it. It's as entertaining. Why is the reason they're not playing? Is it because of sexism? Is it because because the hunt, when the rule was confirmed, it was due to sexism. That's nothing to hide. That's something everyone knows. What's the reason now? Yeah, historically, it's due to sexism. And now it's just a case where logistically, in terms of tournament setup, it, it's very difficult. And so there's not really a need to do it, especially when the women's top women's players are not really pushing for it. 
because they're earning, like I said, they're earning the same amount as the men's players anyway. So there's not an equality there in terms of prize prize funds. So yeah, I think nowadays it's just a logistical issue. Um, and the way to counter that is either A, you get over the log- logistical issue and you actually put in place a tournament that works for both men's and women's tennis to go up to five sets or B, you just provide a lot more context and visibility as to why women's tennis goes up to three in these major mm. finals. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. That's probably the way to counter it. So let's continue with sport, but this is not something that we brought up over the past 14 weeks because it's not something that me and you follow. Um, but it was such big news that I think even when both of us saw it, we were like, okay, we, we're going to have to talk about this on the podcast <laughs> because it is pretty interesting. And that is Lewis Hamilton signing for Ferrari. Now, yep. as someone who doesn't even follow Formula One, I was still pretty surprised. I mean, Lewis Hamilton right now is 39. So he's at the tail end of his career And it just felt, okay, even though he hasn't been successful at Mercedes for the past few seasons, it did feel like, well, you're such a legend with what you've achieved there. You're probably going to finish your career out with Mercedes. But not the case, man. Not the case at all. Um, He's hungry for it. And you know it. And he deserved it. Uh, He deserved, like, all the seven victory championships he got. He deserves more. He's a really good how could I say it, racer, driver. But it was surprising. Like, once again, I don't follow Formula 1 either, but I know this is, like, huge. I know this isn't like, oh, yeah, he just switched teams. I think, I told you this uh, the other day, I think this is, like, an equivalent to Messi signing with Real Madrid. Yeah, that's what I've heard online. Um, I think, I mean, I never watched Drive to Survive, but I do remember that, that moment in 2021 where everyone was like hold on a minute Hamilton's sort of been robbed here like he had Mm. the world title and it I don't I don't recall the specifics of why he didn't get it was it an error from a safety car or something yeah yeah um which in hindsight yeah was an error they didn't follow the rules so he should have had eight world titles but he's still on seven and you're absolutely right I think it's a hunger thing but to go to Ferrari, I mean, they are the, they're the luxury brand. They are the brand of racing, right? They have that racing heritage. I think they're internationally recognizable. And it will be interesting because, again, I don't follow Formula One, but I know that Ferrari haven't been successful in recent history. So, okay, on a... Let, let's look at the deal. It's going to be a multi-year deal starting in 2025. We, I can assume that he's taken it because he was on a short-term deal at Mercedes and perhaps he was not going to be the lead driver there anymore or perhaps the car wasn't competitive enough and Ferrari were giving him that opportunity to be the main man with them. The question is, is the team and is their car going to be competitive enough? Now, I don't watch the sport to really know the answer to that, but it does link into what you were saying about hunger. He's definitely there to get that eighth and possibly ninth or tenth world title. Now, whether or not he does that, who knows? And 
how how much longer is he going to race also who knows because right now he's 39 when he joins he's going to be 40 um physically he looks in great shape so i think he'll be able to drive competitively at the top level for a little while longer if not a, a good amount of time longer but i don't know if this is going to translate into title wins it would be a great story if it did though i would love mm-hmm. that um well some info regarding ferrari as far as i know is they have won the most championships yes they've not been in the best form recently however at the end of the day they are still the most accomplished team out there so and for lewis hamilton to be like okay firstly he's tied first when it comes to winning the most championships himself uh, with, I believe, Michael Schumacher, which is the German driver. Um, so he does want to solidify himself as arguably the greatest of all time by just having the most championships, at least for now. Um, for, the, for him to go, I would like to join Ferrari, and that's, as far as my knowledge goes, as I said, it's like a big move. It's like Messi going Real Madrid. For him to make that decision, surely it has to be because there is a window for him like he knows there's a chance of him winning the championship again and that's why he's doing it because as he said at 39 it's not really the right time for you to gamble with your career like you really have to make a decision which you know is gonna pay off it definitely feels as though he's looked at mercedes and he's gone okay listen i want that record i want to cement myself as statistically the greatest driver and going forward you know we've had our time at mercedes and for me personally with this team it doesn't look like i can achieve that but it's a heck of a gamble man because i I don't know the last time that ferrari won a a title or you know construction what what's the other one there's two titles there's a driver's standings and there's also the constructors standings i think and i don't know the last time they've won either of them but then again um you know you were saying statistically ferrari are the greatest team and it comes and goes in waves right so if it's been quite a while since ferrari have won anything as a team or with a driver then maybe it now is their time and the other driver there charles leclerc also excellent so they're going to have a really strong lineup going forward. We don't know the specifics of the deal as in how long it's going to be. Uh, reportedly, according to BBC Sport, it is a multi-year deal. Uh, and what he was on at Mercedes currently was signed a year ago, and that was two years. So that was a short-term deal. Um, so what this what this brings is, I think it brings a bit more driving pedigree to Ferrari, but it also brings for Hamilton a bit of stability. Um, and again, I think it all comes down to that hunger and wanting another world world title, the one that he probably felt was taken away from him, the one that was robbed. Because here's a guy who hasn't won a Grand Prix since 2021. You know, it's been a while. Mm. It's it's almost three years. So for someone who has won as many as he has, it's got a it's got a gnaw away at you. It's got to eat away at yeah. you. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, you know. Two years ago, he finished sixth in the driver's standings. Last year, he finished third. So he hasn't really... He's been competitive, but he hasn't been challenging. 
Um, yeah, he's not so been a contender. Exactly, and this is just a completely different shift. But it was such big news, I thought we have, we have to bring it up. Yeah, I mean, it's, as I said, it's like the biggest name in one of the most famous sports out there making one of the most unexpected move and one of the most random moves all of a sudden. Um, I believe the last time Ferrari won, by the way, is 2008. Now, I'm not sure if that's accurate, but I, I do know it's it's a long time ago that they won a major, major trophy. Um, with Lewis Hamilton, obviously, as I said, and as we said, it's towards the end of his career. So it is a big gamble. It's a matter of um, maybe he did it for the media because, you know, he would have gotten a lot of attention had he done this. Now, I don't think that's his reason of doing it. And I think it must have been a case where they had a lot of negotiations with Ferrari. So as to what he wants from them, and surely they met the terms. So he's for him to make a move, for him to end his current contract, like it wasn't the end of his contract. And Mercedes be like, okay, we don't want to be with you anymore. It was the case where he had the one-year clause on his contract where he could leave. But it's just for him to go, okay, I'm leaving one year into my two-year contract, there must be a reason for him. Like, there must be something for him to achieve. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to go there. It must be them also welcoming him and being like, okay, that's what you want to reach. This is the route we're on to for the next season. Can you reach it with us? And it's him making the decision ultimately. So I think what has probably happened is that a window of opportunity for whatever reason has happened. Um because supposedly this deal took place quite quickly. Um, Ferrari were made aware that Hamilton was interested, perhaps in moving away from Mercedes, and conversations were probably had, and Hamilton felt, okay, yes, I can can perhaps push for that eighth title and beyond with whatever Ferrari are cooking up. And I think fundamentally that is why the the deal has, you know, gone through. There is also, I don't think it's this at all, but, you know, a, another side note is that Hamilton is no longer the highest paid driver. That is Max Verstappen. Um, but I think financially he's probably so well off that money really has nothing to do with it. So I just think it all comes down to competitiveness and pushing for that eighth title, you know, cementing his legacy as, statistically the greatest driver now who knows how long that will last because i believe max verstappen is on three or four titles already yeah uh, appears unstoppable at the moment so we'll see there but yeah i think it's i think it's pretty much what you said right at the start it's just that hunger for another title yeah i mean it's kind of peak as well isn't it to know you're tied for first but you're still playing, like you're still in the game. Like the other individual is out, they're not in the picture anymore. It's just you, you're still in the game. You're still one of the top athletes. Um, As you said, I highly doubt it is to do with money. Uh, What happens with all these athletes at the end of the day is they aren't just getting paid from whatever sport they're doing. The big ones such as Lewis Hamilton, such as Messi, such as Ronaldo, such as, uh, I don't know, Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, they they become brands. They aren't just an athlete. They aren't. He's not just a driver. Lewis Hamilton's not just oh, okay. He's the driver, and 
nothing else. He's a brand at this point. Like you could put his name on anything and it will sell more. You could make him at, or you could ask him to advertise anything and it would sell more. It's just a brand at this point. So I, as you said, I highly doubt the money factor is a thing. Yes, 100%. Like it's not going to, it's not going to be like he's going to go to Ferrari for free. It's not going to be like he's going to go to Ferrari for like one third of what he usually gets. But at the end of the day, I highly doubt the motivation is that. And knowing he's on the end of his career, his on the entail of his career, he wants that, you know, as they say, that one last go. Yeah, it's it's probably not financially motivated. I was just thinking, have you seen that that season of Drive to Survive? The one where he was robbed. No, but I do know. I've seen Ah. like clips of it. I do know what what you're talking about. Because supposedly, I mean, it was meant to be amazing television anyway. Of course, it was a big sporting moment. But in terms of that documentary series, that was like, that was the one which put it on the map. And I don't know. I feel like with F1, for whatever reason, I feel I can go back and I can can watch that series. Even though it's, it's from seasons past. It's not like you go back and watch old football matches. I know some people might do that, but you don't really do that. You don't go back and watch the the Premier League season from 2013, for example. Most people don't. Um, but I feel like for whatever reason, with, with something like Drive to Survive, yeah, you could probably go back and watch that 2020-2021 racing mm. season. And I am sort of interested in doing it. I think, they, I think that show is still running as well, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is. And you actually talked about a good point there. Why is it in some sports, it doesn't matter that, it doesn't matter how old the events, whatever that is, whether it's a fight or, as you said, a race, uh, it doesn't matter how old it is, people still go back and watch it. And that's something that you'd see a lot in fighting as well, in boxing and MMA, where people go back and watch iconic fights and supposed to, like, maybe fights are going on as we speak. Uh, whereas in football, as you said, it's not something where people go back and be like, okay, let me watch that one match or in basketball. They don't go like, okay, I need to go back in five years and watch that one match. I uh, think, what is I it? Think what, you what answered you... it already. Huh. And that is because it's iconic. And I would just, to add to that, I would say you just see such an incredible level of like excellence. Sure. There are, you know, there are football matches that, some people might go back and watch let's say let's just take the 1966 world cup final um there might be a lot of nostalgia for that and people go back and watch it but i think you know in terms of i I give you another one tennis Mm. um tennis there are certain finals which lend itself so well to going back and watch like like the 2008 wimbledon final between nadal and federer and I was just thinking about it now because you're like, you brought up boxing and well, what are the similarities between tennis and boxing? It's two individuals. What's the difference Mm. with football and boxing and tennis? Football is a team sport. So maybe it's because of solo excellence that we sort of resonate with it more because we, we see these individuals pushing themselves to the extreme in the, the highest, most iconic moments of their sport. And we gravitate towards that. We want to see that because that is the best of the best. Whereas, I don't know, maybe because football is a team sport, it it just could be different. We don't, we don't look at it as individual excellence, but rather just this iconic moment for a country or a team, for example. So that's, that's what I think. That's why I think we gravitate towards 
those solo sports more and why those those lend themselves better for you know re-watching for example that's a good way of putting it yeah it probably is that when it comes down to an individual sport it probably is that you'd see something as more iconic rather than it being like an achievement for the country or for the people or for the whole team yeah because well think about it right in football like iconic games are usually world cup games and when you think about that you're like ah, the country one whereas in iconic fights you're talking about an individual Mm. and so you're more you want to go back and watch that individual and his moment or her moment and so i think we just there's more resonance there we relate to it more that's true yeah that's probably a that's a great way of putting it actually yeah i agree with that we figured it out we did figure it out coffee hour podcast once again figuring stuff out on weekly basis that's how we do it so (laughs) speaking of deals shall we talk about another deal and that is joe rogan's new spotify deal yes let's do this the big man himself the big fish the big man himself i don't know how long this deal is it's sort of like the hamilton one it's a little bit vague it says i mean the report from the guardian for example says it's a multi-year deal um judging off his last one which he signed exclusively with spotify in 2020 that is well four years ago now so you yeah. probably think a similar length but i mean yeah what do you think about this because i think we'll get into like a specific of the deal but i think overall it's a good thing uh yeah i completely agree and i think it would also be four four years again because last time he signed the deal it wasn't i will be on spotify for four years it was another spotify has signed a multi-year deal with joe rogan and it ended up being five years so or four years sorry so i believe it's it's the same length like you you could expect it to be four or five years and maybe even for much longer on this one because now he's not exclusive to spotify now he can upload his episodes on all other platforms such as apple Podcasts, youtube uh, and I believe a few other platforms as well, which is a big step. I mean, he originally came from YouTube and I believe he left YouTube due to many reasons and like a lot of the policy issues they had. Uh, he turned to Spotify, almost got cancelled one time. And yeah, like the deal itself, it's something that's promising for his podcast because not only you could see Spotify through significantly since Joe Rogan point in terms of podcasts and all other podcasts but also the Joe Rogan experience show itself like it really did elevate since it went to Spotify yeah I mean it's we we looked at some numbers in some articles um it really has driven driven their growth in terms of the amount of people listening to podcasts on Spotify's platform and at face value what you do by okay it's still a spotify exclusive but the content is not exclusive to spotify and what that does is it opens it up to so many different platforms and therefore so many different listeners and so many different viewers and he has cemented himself pretty much as the the king of podcasting on that platform and that is the biggest podcasting platform on the world and so you could say by definition and by extension he is the biggest podcaster on the planet um but what it shows more widely i think is a shift from spotify so 
there was a, an aggressive push by them to sign many exclusive deals where all content from a podcast would be exclusively on Spotify. Um, and that included Joe Rogan in 2020, but that also included the Obamas, for example, or Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And like you were saying, uh, with Joe Rogan being on there, that has driven up podcast listen- listeners dramatically. And so now there's sort of a, a shift in strategy. It's like, okay, we've we've cemented Spotify as the home of podcasting. Um, we've attracted all these advertisers. And now we no longer need that exclusivity because we have that home base of listeners. We can now sort of widen and broaden out onto other platforms. And I think that, I mean, that's an interesting business business strategy to take because why would you pivot from, I, I mean, I guess I've answered my own question. Yeah. Why would you pivot from being, having content exclusively on your platform to, to then siphoning out that material on different platforms? I guess it's because they have built that, that base so strongly that the revenue streams are already there. And of course the shift in strategy is always going to be financially driven. So Clearly, they feel that, okay, if if something like Joe Rogan is no longer exclusively available on Spotify, that's going to drive our revenue up. So his deal in itself, I think, is a good thing, the way that it's shifted. But it also marks a shift in Spotify's strategy with their exclusive podcasts. I completely agree with you. As you said, we were digging into some numbers and... They saw a 232% growth in their listeners, not just for Joe Rogan podcast, but overall in the podcast. And that is crazy. That's more than two times. And that's that, That's just crazy. Like 200% or more than that. That's just crazy. It's impressive. Now, it is exactly. Now, I think why the first three years was exclusive to Spotify. Now, I mean, that's self-explanatory. So they have all the content exclusively to themselves. Get solidified that okay you want to listen to joe rogan you go over to spotify i think that was something that that was pretty straightforward like everyone would just know that at this point that you want to listen to joe rogan not many people ask oh where can i listen to joe you just know it's on spotify um now i believe they had the growth they wanted whether it was just for joe rogan or the whole platform when it comes down to podcasting now, by allowing Joe Rogan to upload this content on multiple platforms now, I think it's a double-edged sword in terms of it's definitely something he wanted. I highly doubt they came over to him and be like, look, I, we want you to upload your, podca- uh, upload your podcast on all these different platforms. It's definitely something he wanted. But I think at the same time, it's quite beneficial for Spotify itself. What I mean by that is, when it comes to podcasting, I believe, or when it comes to viewership, let's let's put it that way. When it comes to viewership, I believe the numbers are on YouTube side. So I believe when it comes down to consumers, they're mostly on YouTube. Like whatever you think of, you think of, if I were to introduce you to Joe Rogan and you don't know who this individual is, you'd probably, the first thing you'd search is you go on YouTube and you search a clip on him to see if it's funny, if it's this, if it's that. So YouTube is that main source of people consuming all the content. Now, what happens essentially with YouTube is 
we all know that YouTube doesn't allow you to just listen to the audio. You can't just put YouTube on, lock your phone, put it in your pocket, go on a run. You have to have your phone. Like you have to have the screen unlocked, I believe. I don't know if it's the same with Samsung users, but as far as I know with iPhone users, that's how it is. So I believe if it's a case where he has his content on YouTube also, it's just going to bring a lot more viewers, not to him, but also to Spotify, because a lot of people are going to listen to him for the first time. Like there's a lot of people that don't even know who he is. And a lot of them are going to get to know him on YouTube. And they'll be like, okay, this is interesting. Oh, this is the guy that does UFC commentary. Oh, this is the guy that does stand-up comedy. And it's just going to make them want to go over to Spotify. Because look, at the end of the day, you don't have to subscribe to Spotify to listen to podcasts. You can still do it with ads without skipping them. So I believe it's a case where a lot of people are going to be going to get to know him again. Or not again, for the first time. And they want to listen to his podcast comfortably rather than having the screen on in front of them the whole time. So they'll just naturally go over to Spotify. So I believe the reason why the deal is so he can have it on multiple platforms is not only something he wanted, but I believe it's something that'd be beneficial for Spotify as well. Yeah, that makes sense because I think it's safe to say that in this moment, there are more consumers on YouTube. And also, it there is it's a different experience, right? When you listen to it on Spotify and when you listen to it, but also watch with video, it, it's two completely different experiences. And I think Rogan personally would prefer as many people as possible, and for the for the podcast to be available on as many platforms as possible, in order for more people to engage with his content. And like we said, you know, right at the start of this segment. I think he moved away from YouTube just because Spotify was somewhere that perhaps was more aligned with his own values. But I think, I don't know, there must have been some sort of shift there because clearly he is more comfortable to now put his content back on YouTube. I think that's also in a way beneficial to YouTube because he will bring a lot of viewers to their platform. And in turn, that will bring a lot more eyeballs on advertising content, which is then more revenue. Um, and speaking of money, I mean, there's nothing confirmed about the financials of this deal, but the reports are $250 million, which is just that's insane. Crazy. I mean, crazy. that shows you, that shows you the scope and the reach that he has. And I mean, it might be a podcasting record. One day we'll break it with coffee hour, but oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't even know what Joe's gonna spend that money on i mean i know he probably he was talking about for example in a latest episode and we spoke about this about opening another podcasting studio um but yeah that is crazy money man that that it really is crazy one thing i'd like to mention when you said uh he switched to spotify because you know it matched his goals and stuff like that well one thing and now he's uploading it back on youtube is one thing i'd like to say is Okay, now, first of all, he's not limited by YouTube. He doesn't have the filters that, okay, you're allowed to upload this, you're allowed to upload that. Secondly, now he doesn't have a schedule to meet, whereas before he had the schedule to meet. He had to schedule to be like, okay, you'll upload this many episodes by this amount of time. Now, it has to meet this regulation, that regulation, this regulation, that regulation. If it doesn't, you'll have to upload another one or you'll get fined. I think it's a case where now he's like, I'll upload whatever I want. If they want it, it's there. If they don't, fuck it. I'll upload it somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Now I think it's a case where, as you said, 
the alignments was with him on Spotify. So he was like, okay, I want that because of the regulations, whatever. But with YouTube, it's a case now he uploads it. If they if they take it down, I don't think he cares. That's a very good point. He has that he has that home base with Spotify and I mean there's no wonder why he feels comfortable there. I mean, aside from the financial side, of course. Um, they've backed him in the past. Um, you know, episodes where he had he had certain doctors on with different viewpoints to what fish what you know, what the government was saying, for example, uh, in relation to COVID nineteen. And there was controversy there, but Spotify backed him. Or when, you know, another one where there was pressure from certain musicians to take Rogan off the platform, or they would take their own music off the platform. And again, Spotify backed him and said, yeah, you can take your music off our platform. We're not going to be touching Rogan's podcast. Um, So yeah, it's probably what you said. It's sort of like, I'm going to upload it to YouTube. Uh, You can watch it here if you want. You can take it down if you want. Honestly, I don't give a fuck. It's on Spotify as well, and it's not going anywhere. Exactly. Well, one of the closest time he's been, like one of the times that he literally almost got cancelled was when it got to the racist point, and he almost got cancelled on that. And I believe that was another time where Spotify kind of backed him. Um, But yeah, I wonder if he's working on uploading his content on X, because when he was doing his episodes with... Um, Elon Musk, the latest episode, I believe, uh, the one where he shot an arrow at the Cybertruck. Um, he live streamed that on X. Now, that was during the time his content was exclusive to Spotify. So I don't really know how he made that happen. I think it was just a trial and Spotify allowed it. Or maybe X was not a thing for him not to upload. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now I wonder if it's something where he's going to live stream on X or not, because a lot of his episodes are um, live stream. And that's something I kind of want to get into with how he does it. First of all, you really have to respect his work. Like, whether you like the man or you dislike the man, what he does is not easy. Think about it. He sits in front of the screen. He sits in front of a camera. He talks for hours every single day. Maybe not every day, at least three, four days a week records an episode with a different individual, sometimes the same people. It really is not easy. You really, firstly, as an individual yourself, not only you have to be fantastic at interviewing people for the conversation, not to be boring, knowing you're going to have to be talking to many different people, different personalities. Some guy may be, you know, good on camera. Some guy may not be entertaining. Some guy may not know how to communicate. Not only you have to have that to be able to make it work, but also you have you as an individual yourself have to be so educated and have to have so much to say to to not run out of data when it comes down to talking. And if you're a listener, you'll know Joe Rogan. All he does is he's either hunting, he's listening to books, he's reading books, or he's doing his podcast. So he's a very educated person as well. It's admirable, really. Um, he is like the, he's the pinnacle of podcasting. Of course, he, I think I speak for both of us when I say he is an inspiration for us because, yeah, I mean, the work ethic must be incredible. Um, and what what you need is an incredible appetite for curiosity and also dedication to what you're doing. And no one 
does it better at podcasting than he does. So massive respect for him. But I think if you would, if we ever had the chance to ask him about it, which of course one day we will have him on here to interview him. Um, he will say that, listen, at the start for perhaps maybe the first few years, I was shit. It's just a journey though. You get used to it. And there are so many different variables, right? You were talking about being on camera. You were talking about the person you're interviewing, uh, the ability to stay curious. I think though, you know, he has that TV background, for example. So Mm. he knows how to present himself on camera. He has that commentating background. So he knows how to keep a listener engaged. And I think probably the biggest thing for him is the interviewing um, and getting good at that. But it's like you were talking about earlier, it's trial and error. He's done so many of them now. He's done over 2000 episodes. So you, and that's a lot of hours. They're usually two to four hours long. So you have Mm -hmm. so much experience. You sort of become a master at it. But I think, yeah, he's a big inspiration for us. Yeah. I mean, one thing we kind of talked about earlier is, how he keeps his podcasts entertaining as well so he does these things where he does multiple different series and we kind of talked about this earlier just me and you uh where he does i believe the mma series which is him usually interviewing someone from the mma world whether it's a coach fighter he does his protect our park series which is him with some of the boys just sitting having fun uh what else does he do he does his sober Sober October october series and I believe there's one more. Um, uh, Fight Companion. Fight Companion. That's all. And that's my favorite. Actually, no, Protect Our Park is my favorite one. Protect um, Our Parks is just comedy gold. And I was I was yeah. going to bring this up as well because I was thinking, well, okay, the deal is no longer exclusively on Spotify, right? The content is no longer exclusively on there. But I was thinking, might it be a case where maybe certain of these these series might exclusively be on Spotify. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, Who I get knows? what you mean. We don't know yeah. the particulars of the deal or if that will ever come out, but yeah, that's a thing. And like you were saying, that's motivation for us because we might want to do our own version of that. We might want to do coffee hour interviews, for example. We might want to do our own version of Protect Our Parks. We're still yeah. trying to work on a name for that, by the way. Um <laughs> we'll never get there um eventually but they are like they're distinctive brands you know what to expect from them and i like that yeah exactly i i totally agree with you and as you said the trial and error it's something as educated as he is he's still learning even when it comes down to his fight commentary like he makes a lot of mistakes there which literally the latest one was maybe a couple years ago where he did something he was like okay i'm never gonna do that again uh i learned i shouldn't be doing that and i was actually i think I t- we talked about this lightly there was after he interviewed a fighter after he got knocked out yeah and the fighter was like i clearly felt he tapped out and he's like oh look at the replay you're out cold champs like he tapped out like okay thank you very much for your time um, <laughs> yeah I, I remember that one yeah that's amazing but yeah i mean when it comes down to podcasting I mean, Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan experience is is the top of the food chain. Like, whether you're just starting your podcast, whether you're someone who's listening to podcasts or you want to start your podcast, at the end of the day, you're going to be somewhat motivated by Joe Rogan experience. And that's something you can't really deny. 
it's he's the blueprint like whatever you'd want to do he's done it he's been in the game since 2008 or 2009 i believe doing this so he's been doing podcasts before people knew what podcast is yeah i mean that's uh, what i was gonna say he's been doing it for 15 years now which is just incredible yeah i mean it's at a time there's this clip of joe rogan where he's at the backstage of this ufc event whatever it is and Dana White, the CEO of UFC, comes over to him and he's like, Joe, Joe, did you hear what happened? Like, and he's like, no, 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 what happened? So like, yeah, make sure we talk about this on The Thing. This is a good topic. Make sure we talk about it on The Thing. And it's like, at a time, on The Thing, he meant like the podcast because that was quite new. So basically, the storyline was uh, John Jones was fighting. This woman got robbed. John Jones ran after the guy. He knocked him out. He held him down until the police come. And that was like a week before his own fight. Uh, it's like, yeah, we need to talk about this on the thing. And that's just when you know how it grew. Like back then, I didn't know what a podcast is. Like obviously I was a kid, but I doubt my dad knew what a podcast is in 2008 or 2009. I doubt my dad still knows what a podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee Hour Podcast, man. Come on. We need him as a listener. Come on. We do. We do. We need to interview your dad. We need to interview many people. We we've also had we've had a request for an interview. But that's true. That's true. We're not gonna in the making. We're not gonna push anything until the moment's right. Exactly. It's in the making. So let's move on to talking about some disappointing news. Do you wanna take it away? Okay. Yeah, so a couple days ago it was all over social media. Unfortunately, Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk is off. Tyson Fury was caught in one of his last sparring sessions. And the clip of that is online, actually, where he gets elbowed. And you could see it straight away it opens up. And that's actually kind of ironic because he elbowed Francis Ngannou. So people were like, oh, it's karma. Uh, unfortunately, the fight's off. I can confirm the fight's now rescheduled for 18th of May. And there is a $10 million pullout clause so if any side pulls out of this fight for whatever reason whether it's valid or not they're going to pay 10 million dollars to the other side so whether it's Usyk he's going to be paying 10 million to um, Fury and whether it's Fury he's going to do it to Usyk and that's that's that clause was put in place by the king of Saudi Arabia I believe or the prince of Saudi Arabia they put together a belt for them now it's called the undisputed belt looks horrible by the way but (laughs) It's it's just another belt. Like at this point, they're just making belts and boxing. Yeah, it's a very unfortunate news. It really was a fight I was looking forward to. But at the end of the day, one thing I'd like to mention about this fight, they really did a horrible job of advertising for this fight. Like it was meant to be happening in 20 days. Yeah, how big, I wanna, how big is it? I want to talk about that because just naturally, I, I guess subconsciously, the timing didn't feel right. Do you know what I mean? And I guess the advertising is a big part of that because it's like, where's the visibility on this? And so my question is, is it actually a good thing that this has happened? That it gives, I guess on one level, it gives more time to build it up. And on a second level, it allows Tyson Fury, for example, more time to prepare. Do you think that's a good thing or a negative thing? 100%. I mean, you're going to have to look at, Tyson Fury's last performance he was arguably concussed in that fight he took a lot of heavy shots so for him to get right back right back in and fight the biggest fight of his career it really was 
not a great idea. Like, obviously, now it's just more time for him to recover because you'd have to assume he's not going to be training for a month now at least to let the cot recover. Uh, yes, he's heading into this fight with probably a slight bit of scar tissue, meaning if he gets hit on the same spot again, it may open up. However, I think it's much like it's much better for an athlete to step into a fight with a scar tissue over an eyebrow rather than having some sort of a concussion or some sort of brain damage from your last fight. Well, absolutely. We don't we don't advocate any sort of brain damage going into a fight. It's not good at all. I just exactly. I just felt yeah, it did feel it did feel too soon and there wasn't a lot of I guess in terms of like what I've been looking at, the material that I've seen, there wasn't a lot of talk about, oh, this this is coming up on the horizon. So I think mm. it feels whether or not this is a good thing, because you, obviously you know that fighters, they like to fight. They like to pack in as much as they can within a calendar year. They don't want to do like one fight a year, for example, at the top level. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, well, when was the last one? October. So it four, four, five months, it did just feel it did feel really soon. And I don't know if that was enough time for Tyson to mentally get over what happened against Ngana and really, you know, put himself in the best possible position against Usyk. Um, But, you know, we're still going to be there. We're still going to be covering it. So looking forward to that. 100%. He looked like he's in the best shape of his career. Just from some of the photos and some of the sparring footage you'll see from him, he looked like he's genuinely in the best shape of his career. I just feel like the good things and the positives to take away from this fight is, okay, now you know both sides are going to enter this fight on a healthier stage, hoping no other injury occurs in the training. And you, at least I'm hoping there's better advertisement on this one because, as you said, it just didn't feel like it's the right time. It just didn't feel like it's going to happen. Like, it was one of them where we like, yeah, 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 I believe it if they're in the ring. Like, even though it's a signed deal, it's happening in 20 days, it didn't feel like it is. And I would yeah. genuinely only put that down to poor advertisement because the product is there. Like the marketing is there. Undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. Winner fights AJ, let's say. Winner does this, winner does that. That You can't get bigger when it comes down to boxing, when it comes down to any type of combat sports. Heavyweight undisputed championship is as big as it gets. Doesn't matter who's fighting. Undisputed championship at heavyweight is as big as it gets. So I believe everything was there to sell. Like, oh, is Fury going to be Usyk? Fury just arguably lost to Ngannou. Is the middleweight going to outbox Tyson Fury? Is Fury going to knock Alexander Usyk out for the first time? Is it going to be the first loss of either side? Both sides are undefeated, remember? Um, everything was there. Like, it ticked every box when it comes down to the advertising factor. But yeah, I just feel like they really did not do a good job. I would not want to blame the fighters on it at all. It's mostly to do with the promotional side of the business. And for the other fight, which is now scheduled on 18th of May, if I'm not right, if I'm not wrong, or just, just around May, uh, mid-May, let's say, I'd just like to see some more advertisement going on for it. It's strange because, like you said, the product's there. It's a massive fight. And the Fury Ngani one was advertised really well. Like, I can picture yeah. it now in my head. Um, Amazing. So when you consider who is fighting in this one, it is a bigger fight. So why is it, why has it been advertised so poorly? Um, But yeah, 
it, what maybe it does. Maybe it was a case. Maybe it was, sorry to cut you off. Maybe it was a case where they're like, okay, with Ngannou Fury, we really have to sell that to people. Like everyone's going to think Fury is just going to come in, absolutely dominate him and walk out. So we really have to put everything we can to really try and sell that fight. Maybe they just thought with this fight, it's, it's, it's a sellout anyway. Maybe they thought that. And it is, they are right. Like this fight is going to sell anyway. Whereas with Francis and Garner versus Tyson Fury, had you not done those advertisements, it probably would have done one-tenth of the numbers it did. Uh, but then again, that doesn't mean don't advertise it. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. You know, obviously you don't want to run the risk because Ngannou is a fresh prospect in the boxing world that, you know, no one draws into that fight. But, you know, they did it really well. And with this one, you've got such a big product on the line here. Just go all out. Like, there's no reason not to. You're going to make a lot of money off it. I just want to ask you, um, mm -hmm. before we wrap up on this point, is there is there no chance that there was any foul play here, as in it was deliberately done by Fury? Is it 100% authentic, the cut, and everything else that has transpired? Yeah, so the cut is authentic, 100%. Um, and you could actually see the clip on Instagram or YouTube if you just search it up. So you could see him get elbowed in the face. Now, that could be a reason where he didn't want to fight. He didn't feel ready. He pulled out. Like, that could be a reason. But what I'm trying to say is there's so many other reasons you could bring up to pull out a fight. Oh, I'm still concussed. Oh, I injured my knee. And you don't really need to provide any evidence. Like, you could just pull out for any reason. You feel, oh, I'm ill. I can't train. I don't really think for him to get a cut on purpose to pull out a fight and arguably put himself in danger for the fight being rescheduled. Because at the end of the day, keep keep an eye on that that's most likely going to open up again uh yeah. i don't think that was the best way for him to side to side i don't want to fight so no i wouldn't necessarily say it was staged maybe subconsciously there is a worry from his team that people might perceive it as him you know not being where um ready or as in you know they've released they've released this video because they don't want any allegations that he's you know dropping out or he's dropping out because he knows he's going to lose, for example. Like maybe they, they've done this just to, to to squash any accusations like that, you know? Yeah, um, 100%. And even now he's still being accused of pulling out the fight on purpose. I think that's inevitable though, you yeah. know, um, just with the way that his last fight went. But listen, never write him off. We've said this before. <laughs> never write him off. Who knows what will happen? But do not fear, people. We will cover this episode. It'll probably be around episode number 30 or like 28 when we do it. But we will cover this point. Wow. 30 episodes in. That's how we do it. Would that be... That would be six months? That would be six months. Yeah. It's crazy. Half a year. So we'll be doing uh, 60 episodes a year? Yeah. Um, well, 52. One a week. Technically, yeah, 52. Yeah, that's how we do it. Unless we do multiple episodes a week. You never know. You never know. Anyway, speaking of fighting, did you see the trailer for Roadhouse that Amazon Prime released last week? Of course. Yeah, this is a remake. And did you watch it, by the way? I did, yeah. It's amazing. What do you think of it? Well, I... I'm torn, right? So I've seen it two or three times now, and I think it looks an entertaining film. I'm going to watch it 100%. Where I'm torn is 
Jake Gyllenhaal looks really good in this film. I think the setup of the plot, which is basically Jake Gyllenhaal is a retired, a washed up MMA fighter, right? He's retired, mm -hmm. yeah? yeah? And he goes and gets an offer to work sort of, I guess, like a bouncer at a roadhouse. Um, mm -hmm. And a roadhouse is, from my understanding, is like a bar. And then there are, you know, certain shady individuals who they have plans for this roadhouse, right? And Jake Gyllenhaal gets yeah. in the way. And that is sort of where your plot escalates. And so I think the setup is good. The setup in the trailer is good. Um, the acting looks good. And my issue is when someone called Conor McGregor steps into the trailer. Because... Here's what I think. I think I know why he's doing what he is doing. He's playing that that henchman, basically, uh, that macho man. He he's playing to his personality. But my my one issue is that tonally it feels different to the acting in in what we've seen in the trailer. So what what I mean to say is that Conor McGregor's character feels cartoonish compared to the seriousness of the other characters do you understand what i'm saying i get you at the end of the day at the end of the day i kind of think he's playing himself somewhat but hear me out right he i is, have a yeah. controversial topic here i Go have on. i have a conspiracy theory let's put it that okay hear me out this way this is how i'm going to present it i okay. think we're looking at the greatest actor of all time in conor mcgregor now hear me out the Irish actor dedicated 18 years of his life to the sport of mixed martial art, went over to the greatest organization in MMA, of which is called UFC, won two championships, became a double weight divisional champion, just to be that dedicated to his role. How much dedication is that for his acting role? All of that. Greatest actor of all time. If he doesn't get an Oscar for this, there's going to be outrage. I mean, think I mean, about the preparation. He went, became a champion in two different weight divisions to be ready for the role. Think about it. There's method acting and then there's Conor McGregor and they're just <laughs> on two different levels. Seriously, though. Okay. I So the first time I watched the trailer when you sent it to me, I thought, yeah, okay. And I watched it again and I actually enjoyed it more. So I think it's going to be a good film. The only issue I had with it was that connor's character looks cartoonish and like mm. you said he's playing himself i i think it's going to be an issue because the tone of the film seems serious and i think when you have that imbalance it might it might feel as though okay what's this film trying to be you trying to be like this serious drama or are you trying to be like a th this cartoonish action fighting film you know what i mean um yeah. But I mean, it hit, it ticks a lot of boxes. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that is one thing that you know frustrated the director, for example, Doug Liman, who did The Born Identity, he did Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, which is a great film, by the way. Um, supposedly, it was meant to come out in cinemas, and now it's going straight to streaming. And I was watching this, and you know, looking at it visually and the acting talent involved, and I was thinking. I don't know what the budget is, but this could probably make its money back and make a profit in the cinema. So I'm not sure why they've decided to just go to streaming because it does seem like, again, we, we've talked about this earlier, but like the product is there. 
Um, yeah. So that's a little bit frustrating. That's annoying because you want to see films in the cinema, but it does look good and I will be there and we will be reviewing it when it's out. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think, uh, well, definitely it's a good film. It really is a good film. Like that's why they're remaking it in the first place. And as as you said, I think the fact that Conor McGregor is playing kind of that cartoonish character, I do agree it may be an imbalance there. But then again, you never know until the movie fully comes out. One thing I like to mention, though, parts of this movie was filmed during a UFC event, UFC 285, which was John Jones versus Earl Gone. So a few fights before the main events, they had actually Jake Gyllenhaal walk out. They had him ready. Like they actually filmed the fight actually in the arena. Did you know that? I remember seeing this on social media at the time. And I just wanted to ask. So from like, what i've seen briefly in snippets from interviews and also from the trailer itself it looks like jake gyllenhaal really went went for it in terms of physically getting him prepped for the role and having looked at him can you confirm that he looks like he looks like a ufc fighter for example he definitely looks like a ufc fighter and he's definitely on those good stuff 100 (laughs) percent. i've seen him i mean i think we've both seen him in southpaw a boxing film um this is two fighting performances, right? But mm-hmm. they, they're completely different. You know, I've, yeah, yeah. I've seen Southpaw. I know how Jake Gyllenhaal has acted in that film. And the trailer here, completely different. So props to him. I mean, he is an incredible actor. Yeah, he is. He's pretty good. I mean, just, I mean, just look at him physically. Even if you take steroids, you still have to work your ass off to get to that level. Like if people, this is the misunderstanding with steroids, right? People think, you take steroids you're going to be jacked that's not how it works you take steroids you still have to work so hard in order to get to the physique you want it's just going to speed up the process that's pretty much it yeah i mean he looks ripped as fuck it is it is impressive that that really is crazy like do we do we have a release date on this film yes we actually do i believe the movie's coming out early 2025 really yeah i believe so oh i don't know about that i'm gonna have to google it right now actually no 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 my bad sorry sorry 8th of march literally in a month <laughs> well not even a month in two there days. you go 8th of march yeah yeah no because i remember it was march that's why i said like somewhat early because i remember it was early but i didn't know it was 2024 because the trailer just came out so in my brain i was like okay it's gonna be at least a year but then thinking it's an amazon prime movies then early it just didn't make sense to me for it to be in two days well, i just looked up it is in two days apparently well we will we will have that review out on when is the 8th of march is that friday that is uh thursday i believe it's actually a friday you're one is day it? you're one day short so amazing the episode coming out on the 15th of march we will have a review of roadhouse for you oh no it's a thursday champ 8th of march no it's, it's not Tuesday today 6th of march tuesday I'm looking at a calendar. Your calendar's wrong. Oh, I'm in February. Makes oh sense. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Concussed. Oh, that's amazing. Do you want me to tell you something that might might be a breaking news? Go on. So I told you before we start recording, the AFC Cup, Asian Cup's going on as we speak. The semi-finals, Jordan's playing against South Korea. 61 minute up jordan's up one nil wow that would be a big upset 
that would probably be the biggest upset of the tournament if they were to win. So you've been you've been following it a little bit. I think it will finish this week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will finish on Saturday. I think okay, let's well let's do a recap of the final then on next episode. Okay. Yeah, could do. Yeah, sounds good. We'll yeah. talk about that. So yeah, I think we'll we'll make sure to to read about that, watch it, tune in if we can. Yeah, because I think that was just something that completely flew by me. I was like, oh yeah. Also, the uh the African Cup of Nations is also on. But oh, yeah. I haven't, I haven't yeah. been following that. Yeah, I haven't either, but that's something we could also talk about. All right. Well, before we wrap up, do you want to tell me what you've been watching lately? Yeah, absolutely. So last week I watched two movies, I believe, during this week. I watched a movie called Kitchen on Netflix. Yes. New film. Very good film. Um, this film set in 2044 in London. And it's looking at how uh, the roadmen of that generation is going to be. It's looking at how the poor side of that generation is going to be, despite the technology advancing. And this is one thing I really loved about this film was in every film that goes and takes a look into the future, takes a look at the future, you see everything so advanced, everything so clean, everything so sustainable, eco-friendly. This movie really did not seem like that. Yes, it wasn't like a downgrade. It was still an upgrade to what we are now, but it really was a more realistic look. Of... I, I get what you mean. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the trailers for it and I did want to check it out. And do you know who that's directed by? I do not. However, if I were to tell you a review of the film, it was a pretty good film. I do recommend it. However, it's not for everyone. You'd okay. like it though. You'd definitely like it. I think I would. Um, in terms of who directed it, do you know Daniel Kaluuya? Um, I might have heard his name. Yeah, yeah, the actor in um... Get Out. Get Out. What a great film, by the way. Yep. What's he? A great film. He co-directed it. So there you go. Oh, is that his first? Yep, his first one. It's a good one. It's that's a very a, good one. That's ambitious as well. So it's sort of like a sci-fi, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Get Out. Oh, what an amazing film. Oh, that's, my God. I need that's to a great film. Also, uh, yeah. one more thing. Shout out Daniel Kaluuya for Nope as well, if you've seen that. Yes. Oh, my God. Where he plays like a... He's not a cowboy. He's like... He, he has horses, though. <laughs> he has horses. Uh, the other film I watched, I actually watched this last night, for the millionth time, Life of Pi. Rewatched it. Ah, amazing! Have you seen it? I have. It's a good film. Oh my god, I love it. This film's amazing. Some of the visuals in this film is just unreal. It's very good. If you've not seen it, it's on Disney Plus. I recommend. That's true. Um, yeah, Life of Pi is is like a journey, really. But so so the visuals stand up even i when did that come out 2012 maybe so yeah 2012 yeah. over a decade ago they still stand up pretty well oh yeah it's amazing like i just rewatched it yesterday and some of the visuals are like it's just so peaceful that that film's great i do need to go back and rewatch it again i haven't done it for a while yeah i i highly recommend what have you been watching so I went to the cinema with my partner last week and we saw a rom-com called anyone but you 
starring Glenn Powell from Top Gun Maverick and Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria. And basically, um, it is loosely based off a William Shakespeare play called Much Ado About Nothing. And I guess to sum it up, it's a rom-com. Anyone but you means I would get together with anyone but you. And you know how Mm. this goes. It's a rom-com. Yes, they do get together at the end. But you know what? It felt like going back in time and watching something from the 1990s or the 2000s in terms of that sort of rom-com. And I really enjoyed it, I have to say. Um, And this is something, obviously, I want to, you know this, I want to touch on it more and we will do next week. But yeah, it was a really, it was a strong rom-com and I do recommend it. Would you say it was better than No Hard Feelings? I would say that it was better than No Hard Feelings, yeah. Okay. And you know how much I like Jennifer mm. Lawrence. Yeah. Mm, okay, and No Hard Feelings was a great film, by the way. I enjoyed I really that one that too. Film. And that is another rom-com. So okay. well, we're not going to okay. get Anyone into that now. You? But yeah. Is that the only thing you watched recently? Um, Me and my partner just started queen charlotte on netflix mm-hmm. um i never got round to watching it so it was her time to pick something and she's seen it before i've heard really good things apparently it's better than bridgerton so i've watched the first two episodes and i have to say so far it is pretty good i'm not sure if it's better than bridgerton yet um because i've only watched two out of the six episodes but it could very well be by the end of it um so yeah working my way through that and i've still got to i've got to watch the finale for mindhunter season one so we've almost finished that we've been watching it for quite a few weeks now but we've been taking our time yeah not yet we've been taking our time and enjoying it so we'll probably do that on the next few days okay fair enough fair enough so let me know what she thinks of that because i know you've watched it so let me know what she thinks of that by the time you finish as well jordan just scored the second goal by the way wow that's crazy i mean i don't know i don't know much about their football team but jordan wasn't even jordan wasn't even a favor to get out the group stage yeah it feels like a big upset they weren't even meant to get out the group stage (laughs) they're going to the final by the look of it naturally i'm back in south korea because son hyun min is tottenham's captain um but yeah wow that's crazy unbelievable so all right man Yes. Shall we do this? Let's do this. I have been your host, William Cope. I'm your host, Arsha. And thank you for listening to Coffee Hour. We will see you on the next episode. Take care. (laughs)